This is a song I learned from Doug and Frankie Quimby. They were part of a group called the Georgia Sea Island Singers. In a world where monoculture has taken over agriculture, where languages are increasingly going extinct, where local economies have long been engulfed by globalization, and roughly three quarters of money spent on music goes to the top 1% of artists, you could easily conclude that it is time to wave the white flag on diversity. Close to half a century ago, you could say that the U.S. saw the writing on the wall when Congress passed the American Folklife Preservation Act on the eve of the country's bicentennial. It sought to preserve America's cultural heritage and reflected a broader understanding that cultural diversity is a national strength and a resource well worth protecting. Oddly enough, that cultural diversity fosters a powerful coalescence, rather than acting as something that separates us into different camps. Just as when an economy suffers from monopolies but benefits from competition, just like how an old-growth forest is much more resilient than a tree farm, the music world, likewise, benefits when we make more room for the folk music of A Precious Bryant and spend less time on superstars. Why should we care about music that never even saw the mainstream? Why should we take the time to delve into field recordings of long-dead musicians that Art Rosenbaum got on tape way back when? In our current era, Taylor Swift can set the world on fire with an album titled Folklore, but what space is left for actual folklore? In this episode, we get at some of the meaning these songs still convey decades or even centuries after their births, and touch on how our culture and sense of place can be impacted by music that we never knew existed because it was the oft-forgotten foundation of later waves of music like rock and roll and soul. Here, Roots revivalist Jake Xerxes Fussell gives us his insight into that line of thinking, and how his definition of Southern culture is a broad one that takes on, as he puts it, quote, stagnant notions of authenticity, exclusivity, and antiquity. Playing now is his version of Raggy Levy at the Albano Skunk Music Festival in May 2023, where we had a conversation which ranged from recollections of his childhood experiences setting up microphones and recorders for his folklorist father, to his fourth and latest album, which includes his first original compositions. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, with our episode on Jake Xerxes Fussell. Awesome and buggy, a horse and a buggy Horse and buggy, oh boy There ain't no one to drive I'm Mr. Sipple and I'm Gonna build me a stone fence Ragalivi, ho Ragalivi, oh boy, just ragged as a jaybird. Mr. Sipple and I'm gonna build me a stone fence.
Thanks so much, y'all. Thank you. Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. Osiris creates music podcasts and events to help music fans deepen their connection to the music they love with all of their shows at OsirisPod.com. Osiris works in partnership with Jam Bass, which connects music fans to the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Capsule versions of Southern Songs and Stories are produced for broadcast on WNCW by me, Corey Askew. More information about this and other podcasts from Grassroots Radio, WNCW, at WNCW.org. I'm going home on the morning train. You know I'm going home on the morning train. Well, that evening train may be too late, and that's why I'm going home on the morning train. Jake Xerxes Fussell is from Columbus, Georgia, a city in the southwest of the state near the Alabama border. In neighboring Talbot County to the east, a generation or so before, Precious Bryant entered the world. This is her version of the spiritual morning train from her album, The Truth, with Jake joining her on guitar. It's one of many traditional songs she counted as favorites, songs dating back to antiquity, most of which were written by unknown artists, songs which mutated and evolved over the decades as they were picked up and reinterpreted by new generations of players. As you will hear, Jake and his family had a long friendship with Precious, as his father, Fred Fussell, was instrumental in helping to expose the wider world to her articulate and energetic style, with direct influences from the traditions of her native Chattahoochee River Valley, as well as 20th century greats like Willie Dixon and Memphis Minnie. Jake and I spoke after his set at the Albino Skunk Music Festival in Greer, South Carolina in spring 2023, and our conversation begins here with his answer to my question about his relationship with folklore. I guess I got turned on to folklore, the idea of folklore, from my parents, who were both involved in it. My dad is, or he's pretty much retired now, but he was a folklorist for many years. And uh, my mom was a folklore student in college, and that's kind of how they met, and they were both involved in it. Initially, from like a angle that they call like material culture, so more having to do with craft and things like that, like quilting and pottery making, and that was their interest, I think. Uh, but music, of course, was a part of it too, and they knew people who made field recordings and things like that. And so, uh, when I was growing up, my sister and I and my brothers, we were, we grew up. Uh, fortunate to be around a lot of people who did those sort of things Um, and uh, because my parents were involved in it like my dad would put on festivals or was writing books and I'd ride along with them and get to you know I asked you about these mics because I was grew up like running little field recorders and stuff we always used cassette like Sony cassette machines with handheld mics and things like that so I'm used to this sort of setup because I 
I did that as a kid for a long time. Um, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, so that's my relationship to that music. And then I, when I was about, um, you know, 11, 12, 13, right in there, music started to take like a more serious turn. Like I always really liked it and everything, but then I, it became like synonymous with that, my identity in this weird way. And um, so it got serious and I mean, <clears throat> I just got deeper into it and there was recordings that I found out about of like uh, pre-war commercially recorded music, you know, from the 20s and 30s that I became interested in, but also lots of folkloric recordings or like field recordings from the 60s, 70s, 80s and that all kind of um, steamrolled together and like snowballed in my mind, all that, my interest in all that music. And um, so I just dug deeper into it, you know, and played in bands and things the whole time I was in high school and then just kept going for it. You know, it's been a, a never ending kind of passion and search. Was there any one moment that you knew where the light bulb went off and, as you said, you, you got serious about things? I can't think of any one particular moment. It was probably just a series of moments, you know. Like, my family was real close with this woman, Precious Bryant, who is a guitar player, blues singer from uh, Talbot County, Georgia. And when I was, like, I got my driver's license, I could... She didn't drive, so I drove her around to festivals and gigs and things like that. And probably being around her and seeing that world and uh, other people too, like other musicians and things. And then, and then being around other documentarians and folklorists like my parents. You know, there was this guy Art Rosenbaum from Athens, Georgia, who made all these field recordings, and then. George Mitchell was a guy who made all these blues field recordings and um, other people too that I was around and hearing all those people talk about it and everybody kind of had their different angle like some people were more academic and then other people were more like hobbyist enthusiasts or musicians who dabbled in field recording or dabbled in record collecting and so I got to hear a bunch of different angles on it all you know and some people would be real fundamentalist about certain things they had strict definitions of what was right or wrong and then other people were very broad in their interests and so that was all very interesting to me okay i want to ask about the uh the the strict line of thinking of what's right or wrong because that's so funny just to to think about how our tendencies are to compartmentalize music sure. and culture and to put them in a box and say there's a line around this that you cannot go outside that line and it will be called what it is called anymore is is that what you're referring to yeah i think so but you know we all have that it's not like any one person or we i think we get into art and music or whatever and we we come up with cate categories and definitions in order to understand one another and I think people get into music to make some sense of the world around them, you know, to establish some sense of order, oddly enough. I mean, it, you don't necessarily think about order 
but I don't know. The more I'm around it, I kind of think like when I hear people, it's always really interesting to me when somebody has like a really polar polarized opinion of something. Like oh, I hate this type of music, and then I think, well, gosh, should I hate that type of music too? And I really thought about it that way, and then I realized like oh, I don't, I don't think I hate it as much as he does, you know. But maybe I get part of what he's saying, you know. And so then I think about it in that way. It's like, well, we're just all trying to make sense of ourselves within the world, you know, through that, I think. And, of course, that changes, too. I used to hate this. Now I love it, you know. I used to love this. Now I don't like it so much. And that's with everything, not just music. It's like, you know, literature or something. I used to love Kurt Vonnegut. I don't really read him anymore. You know, people you hear people say stuff like that. So... That was always really interesting because you, it helps you to develop uh, a sense of how things change and between communities and over time, you know. Because I'm always thinking about that stuff. This is Frolic by Jake Xerxes Fussell from Good and Green Again, one of several original songs on the collection, all of which are instrumental. And the album, with cover art by the aforementioned Art Rosenbaum, features guest artists that Fussell has worked with previously, like Libby Rodenbow of the band Mipso, and new collaborators like Bonnie Prince Billy. I asked Jake about how he chooses which songs to record. It's not, I don't have any particular rhyme or reason about it. The the criteria is that it has to be interesting to me and a lot of times it happens in like a real organic kind of way i'll hear a recording or something or i'll read a lyric in a old folk song book or some anthology or something and i'll be thinking about that for a long period of time and then i'll be messing around with the guitar and put it to a tune or something like that that's often the way it works um but at the same time, I sort of do have to um, be conscientious of what I'm doing because I have some sense of responsibility about my own position in that world. And I don't necessarily want to just like play any folk song and not think about the sort of historical context where it's coming from. So, you know, I, don't, I try to avoid things that are just like straight from the experience of slavery or prison songs or things like that where it feels inappropriate for me to do it. Um, I don't, you know, knock other people that do it, but it's just like my own personal choice to sort of stay away from that. 
and, and other types of things that just don't speak to me personally. You know, it has to feel legitimate for me on an emotional level too. So that's a big part of the criteria is um, if I feel like it speaks to me on an emotional level, then I feel like my voice and I can, I can sing it legitimately and it feels real to me. Now, that definition of real is very... I couldn't pinpoint it for you because it's very... Um, nebulous kind of thing but uh, I try to remain true to that however complicated it might be you know yeah cultural appropriation is a thing and it can still happen it happened in the past as well yeah so sure and you know appropriation it's a complicated concept because it's like well I mean, I, I sort of see myself as like, I don't see myself in this lineage of folk music in the way that like, you know, somebody who inherits a balladry, balladry tradition from their great grandmother or something, that's very different from what I do. I kind of think of myself more as like an interpreter revivalist in some ways, like the people from the late 50s and early 60s, you know, who were mostly from the urban northeast or the west coast or whatever but i kind of see myself in line with that i'm removed from a lot of the communities that i'm um drawing source material from you know so i i'm conscientious of that and and i hope that my audience is too i try to be pretty transparent about it when I make records and I'm like, I list all my sources and stuff and try to be as thorough as I can about that. When I'm playing live, I don't talk as much about that just because it, I'm not as good at talking on stage and it takes up a lot of time. Sometimes I do, it just depends on the night and where I am. But, um, but yeah, appropriation, it's a funny thing because like, um, artistic creation, like creativity is, sort of appropriation in a funny way there's I'm not I've never heard anybody who like was able to extrapolate those two ideas very easily I think they're sort of art and appropriation are kind of I won't say they're all the way uh, synonymous but they're definitely like very deeply entangled Listening to Fall Line Radio here on WHUPLP Hillsboro. I'm your host, Jake Fussell, and it's another hot Wednesday here in Hillsboro, North Carolina. You just heard Condemaita de Acomayo, a group from Peru, Cusco, Peru, some of that wino music that I really love. Coming up next, we got some Roy Orbison. Y'all hang in there with us for the next couple hours. We'll be on till 3 p.m. here. On Fall Line Radio, you're listening to WHUP-FM. From July 12, 2023, that was an excerpt of Jake Xerxes Fussell's radio show on WHUP in Hillsboro, North Carolina. 
WHUP is also home to Ken Friedman's show, All Heart, No Chart, which we covered on Southern Songs and Stories in the recent episode titled Psychedelia in the Carolinas Then and Now with the Get Right Band and Ken Friedman. Here's Jake Fussell. Fall Line Radio is a show that I started, geez, how long has it been going on now? About five years or something? Um, it's every Wednesday afternoon from 1 to 3 on WHUP-FM, which is a community low-power station out of Hillsboro, North Carolina. <clears throat> and uh, so we're all volunteer DJs and all that. And, um, yeah, I was really like, I got asked to do that right when they first got started. Bob Bertman, who runs the station, asked me to get involved. He and I met and uh, had a concept for a show and we ran with it. Uh, I've slacked off a little bit in recent weeks just because I've been touring so much. So I'm playing a lot of uh, rerun episodes lately. I'm just traveling so much, but I need to get back in there and get some more content. But uh, it's just a wild mix of everything. I mean, I call it, you know, that sort of slogan I have is music from the American South and beyond which sort of means nothing, because beyond is anything. <laughs> uh, but I do play a lot of field recordings. I play a lot of stuff. But, I, you know, it's all over the place. I wind up playing, like, some weeks, depending on what mood I'm in. I'll play a lot of uh, Norteña music from Mexico or something like that. So it's just really kind of guided by my interest. But then sometimes I'll have, like, a themed show and have a guest on, and we'll talk about this or that. Um, yeah, it's really fun to do radio. I wish I were better at it, like some of you people. <laughs> well, spend 30 years, you'll get there. Yeah, yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I love how in the description of Fall Line Radio, you mentioned our idea of Southern is broad and inclusive and distances itself from stagnant notions of authenticity, authenticity, exclusivity, and antiquity. And I'm sort of chasing the same dragon with this series, uh-huh. Southern Songs and Stories. Is that sort of like nebulous? Like, what is the South? Like, really, is it an? It's 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 a place. It's an attitude. It's all of these things. So I, I love that you're coming at it from all of these, you know, angles that are are people might not have thought about. Yeah. And what is the South anyway? What's your answer? Oh, I don't have an answer. I mean, God, you're talking to somebody who went through Southern studies. So that just like completely depleted any kind of notion that I had of what was Southern because the, the thing that you do is you, you're you just confronted with all these different definitions um, and ideas about that. And then you, you don't know what's up or down after you got out of that, you know, because, you know, it's so, well, for one thing, the definition of Southern was always changing ever since the idea of the South was a thing, however far back that was. Um, and, you know, some at some points in time that meant, like, Virginia was really the South, and then uh, what we call now the Deep South was kind of a different place or something. And then, but I don't know, you know, I don't have strict uh, definitions about it because I see... Southern culture and other places, and I see other places within what we call the South. Um, and especially traveling a lot, you know, it's really interesting. Like, a lot of the things that have been like stamped 
as Southern I see as like part of other things, you know, sort of a, a, a bigger, like part of a bigger pattern of people doing things in different places. And so I don't know, in some ways Southern is like a, a brand or something or like a concept that people can buy into. And that's interesting too. Um, I mean, that's just part of culture, I guess, but, um, I don't have like a real definition of what it is. I don't, I don't have like a strict borderline either. Like people talk about Missouri not being Southern or Maryland or whatever. And I think if those people claim Southerness, then they're Southern to me. I don't, I'm not somebody to say yes or no about that or Florida or whatever. I don't, I get tired of people saying like, this isn't Southern or this is, you know, and it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me at the end of the day. I mean, for one thing, when the definitions are really strict, that's when they're sort of the most challenged, you know, if you think about that, the civil war or something like that, well, that's when people were kind of dying over the issue in some ways. So I, I don't know if that's like the best way to, um, define things like, so it's, um, yeah, I don't know what Southern is. Yeah, there, it's, <laughs> it's, it's an impossible question to yeah, answer. Yeah, it really is. But we, have to try to answer it it's like folklore yeah, <laughs> answers yeah, sure. it in a way uh we don't you know we 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 might not know what it is right in this moment but it may be easier to go back and dig up this wax cylinder and get a glimpse at what it was yeah well and there's also i mean the south or southern is just part of regionalism so i think about it that way too like you know, it's not any more important than the Pacific Northwest or the Southwest or, um, you know, think about different regions, New England, the Mid-Atlantic, the upper Midwest, you know, um, I don't know. And then, you know, there's regions within regions. So you think about like the Black Belt or the Delta or Appalachia, the Blue Ridge, but then Appalachia is like, what is that? Is that all Southern? But it goes way up into, uh, it all gets really compli- complicated because it's like, well, Appalachia actually goes way up into uh, uh, Hudson up Valley and New, 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 New Hampshire. <laughs> if you're up there and you're like, oh, this looks a lot like parts of Western North Carolina that I've been in. And, it, and indeed, there's a lot going on that is culturally similar. And that just keeps happening all over the map. You know, it's not just there. It's like, you know, parts of, um, I don't know. It's like parts of Florida will remind you of other places you've been to on the coast and other parts of the country. And so there's overlap and, you know, the strict definitions of southernness are not very helpful at a certain point. It's easier to, to point to something like music and say, okay, well, the South did birth all these, you know, bedrock forms of music that went on to conquer the world. And that's an amazing phenomenon. You know, jazz, blues, rock and roll, it all came from the South, and it all stemmed from the fact that we had the mix of races due to, you know, <coughs> the blight of slavery, mm-hmm. but also for, you know, in Louisiana, you had the French, you know, it had a lot of different... Uh, nationalities, but yeah. the real catalyst was black culture. Yeah, I mean, 
that's also, I mean, I could, <clears throat> I could make an argument about the reason that we see those as really important forms is because we invested in the South commercially. You know, I mean, everywhere has music traditions. So we could talk about like Finnish, uh, well, we could talk about Scandinavian American music in the upper Midwest. But we don't invest the same kind of importance in that music because it's not part of the narrative that we tell ourselves about rock and roll and the importance of certain forms. So rock and roll and R&B and soul music did take the world by storm, but that had to do with uh, a certain set of circumstances that made that happen. And that's important, you know, but at the same time, some of that thinking lends itself to like roots mentality that we think about the roots of rock and roll it's sort of part of like rockism, you know, in my mind. Like it's like, well, we we think the blues is important because that's the foundation of rock and roll. Well, the blues can be important on its own cultural terms without having anything to do with Elvis, you know, or Led Zeppelin or whoever, or the British Invasion or Rolling Stones, you know. The blues is still important without all that. Uh, I also think the Rolling Stones are important as well, you know. But part of me likes to think about um, music from places in the world that we don't put that kind of emphasis on. I mean, I think this biggest cultural movement in the past 30 years in this country is uh, Mexican-American music. Because um, it's just proliferating and, it's, uh, and we're living within a renaissance of this stuff, you know. But if you don't think about it in terms of, like, it's not included in the narrative because it's not important to people who think about rock and roll, you know. So It I, doesn't get on the marquee. It doesn't get on, no, it doesn't get on the marquee. Well, it depends on, it, well, I shouldn't say that because it's wildly uh, popular among a certain demographic, as you might imagine, you know. So it's not like those bands that are really successful or are hurting for money. They're commercially quite successful. I mean, they're really rich. You think about Los Tigres del Norte or something like that. Really insanely wealthy people who are, you know, making a lot of money off this music because they're superstars. But they're not superstars within the market that m talks about the importance of rock and roll or whatever. Interesting. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, I I agree with you that like, I've the South has a lot to say, and yes, we did. You know, the Southern music did take the world by storm in a certain way in the fifties and sixties, and that's true. But then there's there's other stuff going on at the same time, you know. And I always like to think about how that those narratives do or don't or overlap with that sort of rock and roll narrative. Yeah. What's good in the Mexican-American music scene that we need to listen to? Oh my gosh. I mean, there's so much, and I'm not even an expert on this stuff. Like, I just kind of barely pay attention to it because I know it's out there and I know it's happening. But, I mean, I love Los Tigres del Norte. They're like the biggest band in Norteña music. And, I mean, they've, they're not new. They've been at it for a while, but they're still making records 
in there. Um, anything they do is really interesting. It's all very topical and political, and they sing about the current situation with the border crisis and, um, and you know, with the... Um, with the cartels and all that sort of stuff. So it's all very like um, relevant, recent um, topical material, like any good folk music is, you know? <laughs> Rounding out our time with Jake Xerxes Fussell with his live Albino Skunk Fest performance of The River St. John's, a song he adapted from Reverend Hardin W. Stuckey's recording of the song, Fish Fender's Cries. That's our show. Thanks for being here. We are so grateful when you tell someone about this series, and it is easy to follow us on your podcast platform of choice, where it will only take a minute to give us a good rating and where it's an option, a review. When you do that, it makes this series go up in the rankings which means that more people just like you will find it, and more people will get turned on to the artists and endeavors we profile. This series is a part of the lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media, with all the Osiris shows available at osirispod.com. You can also hear new episodes on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. Thanks to Corey Askew for producing the radio adaptations of this series on Public Radio WNCW, where we worked with Joshua Ming who wrote and performed our theme songs. And big thanks to everyone at the Albino Skunk Music Festival for their incredible hospitality. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it. I got fresh fish this morning, lady. I gild it with gold And you may find A diamond in your mouth They are just from The river St. John's St. John's They are just from The river St. John's They are just from The river St. John's St. John's They are just from the river St. John's